Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Today, Paul and I are taking you on another little detour or side trip, one of our many bonus episodes where we take a single serving look at a topic impacting the live entertainment industry. And today we're heading down to Champa Bay. Kevin Priest uh, is joining us today. He's the uh, Executive Vice President Event Management for Amelie Arena. Kevin, how are things down uh, in Champa Bay? They're sunny and bright. Uh, this, is where, uh, this is where champions live. You know, as, as we're recording this today, you mentioned that like 75% of the country is uh, covered in snow. And I'm looking behind you. We're on a Zoom call as we're recording this. And for our listeners, there's palm trees behind you. And that's not a virtual screen. I had to wonder if you had the virtual <laughs> screen on. I was like, you mean there's warmth and palm trees that exist somewhere else right now? So the one thing we want to talk to you about here today is really, you know, what it's like when you are surprised hosting an NBA team. Uh, during your NHL season, during a pandemic, and how that happens. But before we get to that, the real kind of breaking news that we just heard that you've hosted an event recently with 4,000 plus people. Remind us, tell us what it's like to host a live event with thousands of fans in the building, and and how did you guys pull this off? Um, Well, it was awesome. It created some sense of normality. You know, we we have the Super Bowl, obviously, here in Tampa, and uh, we were supposed to have a three-day Super Bowl music festival and, you know, all kinds of amazing things happening in and around our city. The pandemic obviously squashed a lot of the things that were supposed to be happening. Um, so when we were working on the NHL schedule, uh, and we'd already kind of started working on the NBA one, I wanted to make sure that we had something at our building. So we made sure that we programmed or made available to the NHL to have an NHL game that weekend. And then we had booked, planned on things having here. And we also run the Yingling Center on University of South Florida's campus. Uh, and we had held dates for a comedy show at the Yingling Center on that Saturday night Super Bowl. Because again, we were in our Super Bowl music fest here at Amelie Arena. And as it evolved, we were working with the NFL and practice sites and fields and the resources that the university provided made sense for that. So we talked to uh, our friends at North American Entertainment and asked them if they would want to move over to Amelie to get to a better capacity with a socially distanced or physically distanced configuration. And um, we ended up working through it. Uh, we went on sale right after Christmas on December 28th and uh, did really well. We were also you know, a little curious on how the market was gonna respond to going to an indoor event. Sure. Um, and it just, it found momentum. And then we ended up adding an 11 o'clock show. So we did a little over 8,000 people uh, that Saturday night with a 7 o'clock and an 11 o'clock performance with Mike Epps and friends. And it ended up being absolutely wonderful. You know, fans were, were great. You know, we'd had fans in the building for Raptors for the first few games before we, we saw a little bit of a spike and paused on having fans in the building. But this was our first soiree back into having fans in the building. And 
you know, we got the added benefit of turning off the lights as we were doing mask patrol and the fans were great. You know, it wasn't a ruckus concert or anything like that. So we were able to dialogue with the fans and you know, ask them to put their mask back on if they were taking it down a little too long or something like that. You know, we do require fans wear masks uh, the entire time unless they're actively eating or drinking. Fortunately, you know, most comedy shows, people are drinking more than they're eating. So it worked out great. And uh, the show was happy. The performers, it was interesting, you know, talking to them a little bit beforehand. You know, we used a combination of COVID protocols that we had crossed between the NHL and the NBA to create a, a special event protocol. Uh, and we worked with the promoter on what they were comfortable with and the, and the talent and things like that. So we had a very uh, limited backstage, obviously, stagehands and all that stuff. It's not too hard to, to build something out with a, with a bar stool, a bottle of water and a microphone versus a full right. lighting rig and, and all that. But we get to step into that tomorrow with back-to-back Toby Max on Friday and Saturday. So we'll see how that goes. But working with our friends at Awakening Events on a socially distanced manifest, things like that, the the protocols are, are we're working together to make sure that everybody's in a safe and healthy environment back of house because I think we've gotten pretty close to figuring out front house. Kevin, what did you learn or were surprised by uh, with the uh, the Mike Epps shows, having 4,000 people in the building that you're kind of taking with you into your first, you know, music concert, you know, with the Toby Mac? Um, I think a little bit was just for lightning hockey, you know, people are used to coming into the building, but the last time Mike Epps played our market, he was at the Union Center. So just having a new audience in there and then learning the building and trying to ask questions with their masks on and just trying to trying to find their way about a little bit. We're getting better at kind of the pre-emails on what you need to know and how you need to prepare uh, and what you can expect. The most bizarre thing was, you know, it was sold out. We didn't have a single unsold ticket for either uh, session, but the building only had 4,000 people. And we were in the round. So normally in the round, we would seat about 20,000 people. Uh, or just shy with, a, with with any production kills or things like that. But And I even warned some of the opening comedians. I'm like, you're going to walk on stage. Don't be alarmed. And I showed them pictures on my phone. Like, there's seating pods on the floor. It's not a full floor. So you can see big gaps. Yeah. And I said, I'm telling you right now, it looks weird. I just didn't want them to be taken back when they first jumped on stage and started going. And they're like, oh, hey, this is weird. Because it was. But it was uh, yeah. it was fun. And I will say that the fans were were wonderful. And they seemed to enjoy it. And I will say our our part-time and our full-time staff were elated to be back and, and making something happen. We've been talking about shows since, you know, mid-March last year and but mainly we've been talking about moving them or postponing them or trying to figure them out and to, to actually be uh be standing there and and hearing someone call to open the doors was was pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm sure. I know the experience of seeing that crowd that was actually like an acoustic country concert that I did like a little freelance photography for. And we're like, okay, it's going to be the fullest it's going to be during this set. And I go out to take a wide photo and I'm like, this is bizarre. Like everything in my blood, it tells me this is a bad look because I'm used to this being like, Ooh, this is really undersold, but it's totally, you know, sold out to capacity, even though it's, you know, very gapped out. So it's really, it's really interesting to see this kind of new normal like that, but it's just, you know, it's what we're, what we're working through right now. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it's a crawl, walk, run, and hopefully, at least we're crawling now. Right. Um, right. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can, we can get to walking and get to running eventually sooner rather than later. Kevin, one of the things that you didn't get much of a chance to crawl with is being an NBA facility, right? So talk to us about how you first heard 
about the potential and, and kind of what brought the Toronto Raptors down to play uh, at your at your building? Yeah, so um, honestly, it started with a very, I think, in, inquisitive question from the Toronto Maple Leafs GM to the Tampa Bay Lightning's GM just saying, hey, is this something you guys would even consider? And our GM forwarded to our CEO and his, he was like, is this something we would consider? Like, what does this look like? And then uh, Steve Griggs, who's our CEO, ironically is from Toronto. Uh, he was one of the first 20 employees for the Toronto Raptors. And, wow. you know, he called me and he was like, did we do this? And I was like, I don't know, let's, let's have a conversation. So we ended up having some dialogue with a couple of the people on the business side for the Raptors and kind of started looking at it. You know, they looked at a couple different cities. I think they had some connections here uh, with, with players, families or a players, families and, and some other things. And, you know, our, our environment with our district and the hotels and us being able to have fans and different things like that, it, it came together very quickly as, hey, you know what, this is, this is something that could really happen. They came down, they walked some of the facilities with us. We looked at hotels, we looked at different things. And within probably the first mention of it, within 10 to 14 days, we were sitting down, sharpening our pencils and figuring out whether this could happen. And then we started uh, having these group conference call Zooms with like 60 people on it from all different aspects of the business. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, lucky you. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was awesome, and like you know, I didn't. I knew a few people from that organization just from what I normally do, but I was meeting you know everybody in their space, and you know we just we just started talking through it. Is this possible? What does this look like? And then once we got to that point, we started diving into the to the NBA protocols and and looking at that. And fortunately, I kind of had a pretty good idea from being in Atlanta for as many years as I was with the Atlanta Hawks and and Phillips Arena now State Farm Arena, but. The MLSE people were absolutely wonderful. They were, you know, they were trying to figure out how to take their team and have them play their home game somewhere else. That's not a normal conversation. So, you know, sure. they were absolutely wonderful to work with. And we we melded together and and created created a, a, a gigantic team to figure it out. And then then it was a matter of, okay, how do we do this? And what do we need? Like, what do you need us to load onto the trucks? And you know, then we had to get into like, oh, we don't have an NBA scoring table, so we're going to need one of those and right. video replay <laughs> and, you know, all these things. And by the way, like, you know, are you sending your court or are you going to rip one? Like we got to, I mean, it was, right. it was interesting. I mean, the conversations were um, were across the entire gamut of, of an event production. And obviously they wanted it to look and feel like a home game. So they packed up their court, packed up their hoops and all of their stuff and, started uh, shipping trucks down to Tampa. What's it been like to balance between, obviously you've got, you've got a, you know, a tenant in the building and all of a sudden they've got a new tenant to deal with right there too. So how's it been balancing and, and you know, the NBA, NHL, you know, you're kind of trying to take both sides in and you're in a very unique position. So, so what's that been like? In hindsight, we moved a lot of mountains in a very short period of time, but like I said, the collaboration made it very easy. But if you look back at it, the time that we were talking about it and working on the schedule and all that stuff for the first half of the NBA season, the NHL was still a little bit trying to figure out what they were doing. So we were able to um, to put some dates together for the first half of the season. And, and again, we didn't know how long this was going to be for, right? Like, you know, when we all paused for two weeks back on March, uh, March 12th or 13th of 2020, 
you know, we were like, oh, well, we'll get through these next two weeks and then we'll uh, we'll get back to, to doing what we do. We didn't know how long they were going to stay. Um, we didn't know how long the NHL was going to have to they figured out exactly what they wanted to do. So we just kind of put our heads together and figured it out, obviously communicating with our with our home team lightning. And, you know, they're very, you know, we're all the same family. So it was it was very easy conversations. But you know, it always had that caveat, but make sure, you know, we still got what we need. And it was like, okay. So, right. Of course. Um, you know, we worked through it and actually in hindsight, it gave us a huge jump on the NHL protocols that came together very quickly. And we, as an organization decided right as the NHL was kind of pulling all of their, their wants and needs together, that we were going to take the most strict standards of either respective league and, and hold both teams to that same level of accountability and it, and it ended up working out great. So when the NHL stuff came together, a lot of the NBA protocols uh, mirrored the NHL. And we started um, started building the, the business plan. And then we had our first preseason game on December 18th. And we went on sale for it on December 17th. So, wow, <laughs> so it was, uh, it was, there was a lot going on. Yeah, in that same vein, what's that like from like a marketing and branding perspective from the building? Because you know, you're I'm I'm assuming you're still branding it as Toronto Raptors, but they're mm-hmm. in Tampa Bay. So is are you seeing some sort of you know fun kind of loyalty to that team locally that maybe is like, well, you know, they're kind of playing in our backyard. Maybe we'll start following this team. You know, people watching it, or is it? more of this kind of interesting sort of fluke thing where they happen to be in the building. Like when you were able to sell tickets to it, were people curious and showing up and kind of interested? I mean, there was a ton of chatter about it in the media as well as, you know, social and all that stuff. I mean, we had that first preseason game in less than 30 days from us really having conversations about this happening. And people showed up at those games with Tampa Raptors t-shirts. Amazing. It was bootleg merch. It was not licensed merchandise. <laughs> sure. <or> not. sure. <laughs> but, you know, we had people that were going to say, you know what? Like, and, and, you know, we don't have an NBA team here in Tampa. And there were people that were NBA fans or they were transplants from other communities that were excited to, to have something new and different. There was, And, I mean, we sold out the, the home opener within a, a few days of going on sale on that on the 18th so less than a week out or maybe a week out because i think people wanted to be wanted to be at the first ever Toronto Raptors home game in Tampa right like it's a sport, right, right. It, it's just not normal it was great i mean when we had fans from other teams i mean you know florida is you know there were some people that were probably down here on vacation trying to get away from snow in december or down visiting family or something like that over because it was December 23rd. So we had different, you know, de- teams jerseys showing up, but you know, you get that in a transient city like we are or, or a vacation city. But it was, um, but yeah, there's a lot of people that are that are loving it. And we had gone on sale with the first, I think it was 11 games through through January, and the sales absolutely blew me away because there was no groups, there was no season tickets. Uh, you know, we were starting at zero. It was like putting a concert on sale. Um, so a lot of the marketing that we did was done, you know, by by Angela Lanza, who's our director of event marketing, in collaboration with the folks in Toronto and MLSC. And, um, you know, then we used a lot of our sports leverage uh, with the Lightning and all the Legos kind of came together and it worked out awesome. So we're hoping to, to recreate that that fire for the second half of the season, that's for sure. 
the big news here is that people like are still buying tickets and are excited to come to live events, right? I mean, that's that's the great news when they are available to do that. Uh, that's just something that we all in this industry need to hear. So here's my question for you. As everybody is, you know, in this industry is so excited to get back to work, how is your staff? Because it's that thing of like, hey, we're going to get back to work. And all of a sudden, oh, yeah, now we've not just got hockey. We've got conversions to basketball and back. And we're doing a, twice as many events as probably any other building on the planet right now. What has that been like? Has your staff been 100% uh, on board? Uh, and how do you get them excited about, you know, working all this extra stuff? You know what? I think... Um... Getting them excited was not a daunting task. You know, people were calling saying, let's go. Like, when are we doing this? I know when the first thing started leaking out in the media, people were texting me and calling me like, is this real? Is this really going to happen? Are we doing this? And then I was like, okay, be careful what you wish for, right? Like, right, right. Because, you know, we, we, are a, we are a one team facility and we do a lot of concerts and events. But doing a conversion every night from hockey to basketball to hockey to basketball and vice versa and peppering some shows there, it's, it's a different grind. But no, I mean, the, the staff have been absolutely wonderful and we tried to make it as streamlined as possible, you know, doing those conversions because we don't have, you know, you, you've seen all the tarps and the banners. So we, we're not having to put the fat stacks in on the end and bring seats all the way down to the basketball court and we've got safety mode. So you can see we try to minimize how much little detail work can be eliminated uh, from conversion to conversion. But no, I mean, I will say like the staff has been absolutely excited you know where there was a there was a run in january where we had i think it was nine events in 10 days and then yesterday actually started where we have 15 events in 17 days and they have been absolutely elated uh i know i mean we were talking about the mike Epps show before i mean i had cautioned them like you know we've been zooming and working remotely and we've had like many a quarantine nights we probably spent more time with our family at dinner than we had in our entire professional lives but I was like, we got to get back into event shape. And I will say, driving home from that Mike Epps show around two o'clock in the morning, I may or may not have had a heavier foot to put my head on the pillow faster because my body wasn't used to it, right? And I went from, I went from, you know, lightning and, and Raptors games yeah. where you're leaving at a reasonable hour to leaving at two o'clock in the morning after back-to-back shows. I was, I was gassed. I, I had a little bit of a hangover the next. Like, oh yeah, this is what it's like to walk around on concrete all day again. I forgot about that. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's a different type of workout, right? But no, I mean, it's it's been absolutely wonderful. And, and, you know, our event team has absolutely, I mean, they've been like, well, no, 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 I'll take this event. It's like, well, slow down. Like, let's let's figure this out. And, but no, it's, that has not been an issue at all. If anything else, it's like, hey, I'm going to be into overtime. It's like, we're fine. Like, take care of our business. We'll, we'll keep figuring the pieces out. Well, I think everybody listening today looks forward to getting back into event shape. That's a great term I'm going to steal here. <laughs> Kevin, if somebody wants to reach out to you or uh, follow the arena on social, what do you want to plug here? Where, what can we shout out? Yeah, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm available at, at kpriest at venixsportsgroup.com. And that's P-R-E-A-S-T. Um, it is pronounced in the biblical fashion, but definitely not spelled that way. Um, <laughs> But no, I mean, you know, Vinick Sports Group is is our parent company. So we oversee Emily Arena and Yingling Center. And we're a resource for everybody. You know, we want to make sure that, I know we've talked to a lot of our local Southeast folks uh, about what they're doing, what we're doing and all that stuff. So anybody on our team is happy to reach out and talk specifics and dive deep into the details. You know, we're in a good spot right now and we're very excited about that. Uh, and a lot of our, our neighboring venues and in Miami and, and, and Fort Lauderdale and Jacksonville are, are starting to open up and, you know, in Orlando. But 
we're not going to be truly healthy until our buildings across the country are healthy and tours can get out on the road and and we can really do what we love doing and and bringing events to to our communities so we're we're happy to share everything that we're doing because until like i said until we're all healthy well, nobody's going to be truly healthy amen well said. Uh, thank you kevin well said. we we appreciate the uh, the time today and uh, especially in a, in a busy run of shows right i think we're all uh, very uh, officially jealous I'll send you my address and you can send me one of those knockoff Tampa Bay uh, Raptors jerseys. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it, I will say like, it's been fun and I, I can't imagine a better group to work with than MLSC. And I felt for them because, you know, they were being displaced through no fault of their own. And I use the example. I'm like, you know what, we're going to treat you like our family, whether you like it or not. Um, so, so beware. Because, you know, if, if a hurricane came through Central Florida and, and took us out, we might have to go play somewhere else. You know, it happened to New Orleans that ultimately ended up sure. in Oklahoma City. Uh, and that worked out long term for Oklahoma City. But, you know, you never know when something's going to happen. So if you treat people like family, hopefully they'll, uh, they'll treat you like family on the, on the back end. Good karma. Family like Emily, right? Emily like Emily. There you go. <laughs> Kevin, thank you for joining us, and thanks to everybody for listening to this special Detour episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. And until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>